You want to fight? That was a question I got asked and asked a lot during my growing up years. I'm the oldest of six brothers and eight kids total, and uh, we were homeschooled, at least I was homeschooled, through junior high, so I was around these people a lot. Sometimes it was just a joke. It was kind of like uh, trying to unleash your inner Rambo or your inner Rocky Balboa um, and show our macho-ness to each other, and we kind of felt something like, like this. Uh, you want to fight? But reality was something that looked a little bit more like this. Uh, these crazy little kids that were, I've, I've been described as like a, a, an army man kid, you know, the guy who likes to dress up and pretend I'm fighting everybody, and, and that was pretty much growing up. I can remember this one time, though, when it was, it was real. It got real. It was after church. We were at my house, and I had a friend over from church, and we were, we were messing around with uh, one of my brothers got a miniature uh, billiard table for Christmas. And we were all playing in the back room with this, this pool table until something went seriously wrong. And the thirdborn did not like it one bit. And he grabbed the pool cue out of my, my best friend at the time's arms, and he let out some type of war cry and began chasing him around the room and beating him on top of the head until the pool cue just broke into pieces. And, and, and everyone was like, whoa, he wanted to fight. <laughs> you want to fight? Last week, we said there's a fight going on. There's a fight going on. There's a battle between two kingdoms happening. One kingdom is the kingdom of this world, which is passing away. And the other kingdom is the eternal kingdom of the maker, which is, which is ever building and ever growing. And will ultimately reign and rule for trillions and trillions of years on into eternity. <laughs> the world has changed. You remember? Those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, they don't belong here anymore. If, if that is you, this is not your home. This is not where your, your roots lie. You're, you're actually part of another kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Yeah, you might have a social security card. <laughs> you might have a driver license. You might have a membership to this or that. But who you truly are, to whom you truly belong. That's all marked by the supernatural indwelling of the Spirit of God within you, Ephesians 1.13. <laughs> you now, along with the rest of the, the body of believers, have a, a distinct identity. Distinct identity. We don't, we don't like to talk about distinctions these days. We just want to talk about how everyone's the same. But you are distinct. You are the chosen you are the, the ransomed. You are the forgiven. You are the, the spiritual house. You, along with the church, are being built up into a spiritual house, into a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. But there's something inside of you that, that, that remains that will fight 
against this new distinction, against this new identity that you have. There is an internal fight going on. The old passions of the flesh are waging war against you. You once obeyed them. Yes, you were enjoying them, in fact. But they're waging war, Peter says, against your soul. You're in a fight. You're in a fight, an internal fight. And you've got to do battle with this thing. You've got to put it to death, we said last week. Those old, earthly, fleshly desires, you need to battle against them. How's your fight been this week? (laughs) I look at myself and I go, hmm, there's some work to be done here. (laughs) Might be a good idea to begin identifying more and more what those internal desires inside of you are. So that you can be watching for them, maybe enlist a few trusted, believing friends to to watch your life as well and to warn you when they start to see them rise up. I was in an elder meeting earlier this morning, and, and uh, they asked what, what, I, what they can pray for for me, and I said, there's, uh, there's a battle going on in here. Uh, you need to pray for something that's going on in my heart. And they did, and that's good. We have a new identity, a distinct identity, but we also have a distinct purpose, don't we? We talked about that last week as well. We're here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do you believe that? Have you accepted that call? Maybe you prayed a prayer. Or maybe you, you, you raised your, your hand after hearing a Bible story when you were a kid. Or maybe you walked down onto the field and someone handed you a, a, a Bible. But there's a big difference between going through certain motions and consciously, actively trusting in Jesus Christ as your one and only hope. And so the question has to be asked, do you, present tense, Do you present tense believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin as your substitute? 1 Corinthians 15, 3, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, and that you now have this new resurrection, eternal life in him. If you do, then you have a new identity And you have a new purpose. And what has changed, what has taken place on the inside, it it now necessarily impacts what happens on the outside. Before, your life would have been used to uh, do some different things. One of the main things, it would have been used to direct people's attention, people all around you, in all sorts of different directions. It was kind of like you had arrows on your head, and you're pointing all these different directions. And if we're perfectly honest, we would say probably, at least in the early years, those arrows were pointing towards us, right? And you see people taking selfies all the time. What are they doing? They're pointing the arrow, aren't they? They're pointing the arrow to themselves. You remember what it was like in junior high? <laughs> you remember craving to be, to be liked, maybe, or to, or, or to be accepted. Oh, those are deep desires inside. Maybe to be loved. For some people, it's, it's to be feared. <laughs> you want to fight? <laughs> Why is it that we were trying to show off? 
Why is it that we were, we were telling those jokes, or we were wearing those clothes, or, or, or the lack of clothes, or, or why was it that we were ripping on, on, on those people over there? It was because we wanted to point everyone else in the direction of, of us. And if we weren't point, pointing people in the direction of us, we were pointing them in all sorts of other different directions, weren't we? Pointing them to this thing, or that thing that we thought was cool. Or maybe it was sports, and we just, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Did you see that play? We're pointing towards sports, or maybe it's some form of entertainment. Did you hear about that movie that came, oh, you got to go see that movie. I got texted this week. You got to take your staff to go see this movie. And I'm like, I don't know if we can take to go to see that movie. You got you to go try this restaurant, or you got to try this new weight loss plan. And you're like, really? That's kind of offensive that you're telling me that. There's a new cool thing to buy. It's happening all the time, isn't it? It's, it's happening right now. All you have to do is, is crack open your social media platform, and you'll see all kinds of things that people are pointing to. I mean, exotic travel destinations or fitness routines or this goofy video, this, this hilarious meme, probably ridiculous, political agendas. You'll see what, uh, who's in on the environmental you know, task force. You'll see every, the current cultural agenda out there. You'll see it all perpetuate, arrows pointing in all sorts of different directions. But if you now belong to Jesus Christ and your identity is now found in him, then the, the arrow of your life points in one direction, doesn't it? It needs to point in one direction toward the greatness and the goodness and the majesty of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And if you're called to do that, You have to recognize you're, you're doing that in a world that is hostile to that reality. You're called to do that in a world, quite frankly, it loves darkness and it hates the light. But that's your calling. Does anyone else see a problem here? Jesus said, maybe you'll recognize this if you spent some time in Sunday school when you were a child. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Oh, yes, maybe back when I was in Sunday school, that song, This Little Light of Mine. Some of you remember that, right? Hide it under a book. No. I'm going to let it shine. That was such a sweet song. And we enjoyed doing that. Love the hand motions. But if I think about what it means to stand out there, out from the crowd in any way, shape, or form, and let that light shine in a world that hates the light and loves the darkness, that's kind of a perilous thought. You're living in a kingdom that's diametrically opposed to the one you now belong. What does that mean? It means you're in for a fight. You want to fight? You already know that there's an internal fight. If you value your new identity 
in Christ, then you're, you're going to have to guard against those deadly, sinful, internal cravings. That was last week. And, and by the way, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go, go check out what Peter was so passionately urging us on towards. Uh, you can find it at bbfoc.org. We have the sermon up there even now. But as pilgrims in an unholy land, we're going to fight our way through the external world around us. This is not your home. There's an external fight. It's no vacation. I said that last week. It ain't no picnic. <laughs> There's going to be some tension. There's going to be some misunderstandings. There are going to be times when you just can't go the same places that everyone else is going or, or join in with the, the laughter that's going on over there for that particular joke. You can't Except you can't go along with the ideologies of some of your co-workers and, and, your, and your friends and your neighbors and your classmates, maybe even blood relatives, because you belong to separate kingdoms with separate kings and separate values and separate understandings of what is good and what is valuable and what is true. Now, there are some who say, these are the Rambos. There's some who would say, all right, well, let's go. <laughs> let's fight. <laughs> we don't belong to this world anymore, so we're not going to answer to this world anymore. We're not going to recognize this, that their authority. We're not going to abide by their laws. There's no way we're going to pay taxes. Uh-uh, we're going off grid. They won't find us, and if they do find us, they'll be sorry they did. There are others who might say, well, you know what? If we belong to the righteous eternal kingdom, the kingdom of this world is the one which is opposed to God, then we need to do all we can to destabilize it. Let's bring it down. Let's fight the system. Let's fight the man. Let's fight anyone and everyone that claims the right to tell us what to do. You want to fight? But Peter wants his readers to know, and he wants us to know, that there is another way that God wants his people to carry out the mission that he has given them. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're in verse 12 this morning, and it says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He goes on, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. And someone says, wait a second here. <laughs> honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear, fear God. Okay, I get that. Honor the emperor? Are you kidding me? What kind of a fight is that? That doesn't sound like fighting at all. That sounds like rolling over. That sounds like just, just, just going with the, the, the flow here. Are we, are, are, are we, are we, are we? What is it, trout that goes upstream? I don't remember. I took a trip to Alaska once, and they told me, but I don't remember. <laughs> that 
That sounds like surrendering to the other side. It sounds like, it sounds like we're just saying, you know what, do whatever the heck you want. And uh, here, you want some brownies? You want some, 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 some refreshment? You go and do it. Let me help you. That's what it sounds like. And the proper response to that is no. No, absolutely not. That's, that's actually the wrong way to think about it. To think about it that way is actually to misunderstand completely what this whole kingdom, this kingdom battle is all about and who the conquering king truly is. We ended last week by saying that the inter- each, eternal, external fight is, is like this. As those who no longer belong in this world's world, Christians must outwardly live out the otherworldly character of Christ. That's what Peter's telling us to do here in verse 12. Keep your, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Who are the Gentiles? The word's ethnos, and it simply means nations. And in the Jewish context, that would have been all the people who are not Jewish, who are not part of God's people. Here Peter is speaking to Christians, and that means it is all the people that are not saved by Christ, the people that you're distinct from. It's all those who have not been called out of darkness and into the light. Ethnos is the lost world. It's the people who are all around you, who are, 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 are passing you and cutting you off on the freeway. They, they live right next door. They sit at the, at the desk. If you're a student, they sit right there and right there, and right there, and back there too. They're all around you. They work with you. They check out at the grocery store right in front of you. They're voicing their opinions and revealing the motives of their hearts on the social media platforms that you frequent. And as you exist among them, you are called to keep your conduct honorable, honorable. Word is a word that means excellent. It means uh, visibly and outwardly good. It, it's to stand out from the rest of the behavior out there as something that is that's better, quite frankly. There's something here that's closely tied to holiness, actually. Remember what Peter said to those uh, Christians back in chapter 1? In verse 14, he said, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, same as the passions of the flesh. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The passions of our former ignorance is the same stuff as the passions of our, of our flesh. That we, that we had pre-Christ, that we were enslaved to, that drove us to live in a way that was a distortion of the way that we were created to live. Remember, way back when we were in the Genesis series, we talked about this thing about how we were all made in the image of God. That is, we were all made to be image bearers of God, to show the world something of what God was like to represent him. And we all know the story after that, the Genesis 3 and the fall and the misrepresentation and all of that. But we know that the ultimate example of an image bearer 
was Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We see perfectly what God the Father is like in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus said to Philip in, in John 14, 9, have I been with you so long and still, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Adam and Eve were supposed to be the image bearers. They failed. They showed us actually probably the exact opposite as we do, the exact opposite of who God is. Jesus, on the other hand, is the perfect example. He's the perfect Im image bearer and shows us the Father. You want to know God? You open up the Gospels and you see Jesus, you'll get a good picture. Those who have been brought out of darkness, they're now to do the same. They're to be holy as he is holy. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What are we talking about here? We're talking about living honorable lives and what it equates to. It equates to us representing our God. You've been given a distinct identity, and you've been called out. You're, you're left on this planet for a reason, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. He saved you. So to be a good witness to the world of him, you have to show them what he's like. You're the physical manifestation of the body of Christ. We are the physical manifestation of the body of Christ left here on this earth on this lost planet to show people how beautiful and pure and superiorly, superiorly good he is. They're looking for a savior. They just hate the one that's been given because they don't like what he has to say and they don't like what he's calling them out of. But he's precisely what they need. So give them Jesus. They hated Jesus hated him. Not only did he look foolish to them, he revealed to them just how backward and how downright evil they actually were. And they'll hate you too. We read it last week. I've given them your word, Jesus prays to the Father, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So yes, they will hate you. <laughs> And Peter verifies that as he writes this in verse 12. They're going to speak against you as evildoers, you being the evildoers. Back in the first century, Christians uh, were accused of all sorts of evil doing. Here are a few of them. Some, uh, some people claimed that they were rebelling. These, these Christians, they were rebelling against the Roman government. Others said, these Christians are cannibals. Do you know what they do? They eat the body and the blood of, 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 of their leader, of Jesus, in this weird thing called communion. <laughs> Some were accused of opposing slavery. Can you believe it? 
Oh, what an awful thing. Others said that they practice atheism because, you know, they don't worship any of our, of our Roman gods here. Yeah, these were a really, really bad lot. You want to fight? What are the evils that Christians are accused of or will be accused of these days? What about standing in opposition to a woman's right to choose? That is evil. What about insisting that there are such people as women <laughs> and that they're wonderfully distinct from men? What about claiming that, that, that Christians, you, you're saying you're different than us? Are you kidding me? That's offensive. Having a closed mind on marriage, believing that children are, are best raised by uh, uh, a mother and father in the home, having the goal to believe that there's such a thing as right and wrong, true and false, that the world was intentionally created and not the result of random chance, that the, ridic the ridiculous suggestion that there is this all-powerful being that is going to hold us all accountable someday, that's pretty offensive, Well, that there is one and only one way to be made right with God. Evil, evil people, Christians, how dare you? Yes, it's all evil because it all threatens human autonomy and sovereignty. How dare you suggest that, that I am not a god unto myself? Don't you know that self-exaltation and self-worship is fundamental to our existence? Yeah, we get it. But we also get that this is how we all went wrong to begin with. <laughs> this is how... This passing kingdom of darkness began in the first place. You want to fight? This is how you fight. Christians fight the external fight by testifying to a lost world what the Savior looks like. They outwardly live out the otherworldly character of Christ. What good does that do? Peter t tells us it will lead your accusers to glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the goal, isn't it? The glory of God. Why do we exist? To glorify God and enjoy him forever? W the goal is that it might be made known to all of God's creation how truly awesome and magnificent and glorious he is. That's why you were made an image bearer to begin with. And it may not happen now. It may not happen tomorrow. But Peter says that's the goal. One day it will happen. If it doesn't happen at any point in our lifetime, it will happen on the day of visitation. That's the day when Christ returns. That's the day when he brings definitive salvation to all of us. And, and, and it's the day his people, it's the day that, personally, I am really waiting for. Uh, it's, the, it's also the day when the rod of judgment will come for the world outside. The day of visitation. According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, that day's coming. It's a, it's a day of, of, of separation. It's a day when, just as Jesus says, Matthew 25, 46, some will go away into eternal punishment. Christian, do you believe that? But the righteous into eternal 
life. And I have to ask at this point, those listening here, those listening online or the podcast later, which will it be for you, the day of visitation? Will it be something that you welcome or something that you dread? Someone will ask, how is it that we know that outwardly living out the otherworldly character of Christ is the way that Christians engage in this external fight? The good question, it's a great question, actually. Christians know that this, this is the fight and this is the way to fight. One reason is because Christ is their king. It's not any earthly ruler out there. No matter how uh, noble they seem or how bold they seem, that is not your king. Christ is their king, and he's the victorious king. He's the king above all kings. There may be earthly authorities over you, but you have one king. You may have teachers, you may have bosses, governors, presidents. Yeah, yeah, I know. But there is one king who stands over all of them. In fact, He's the king who's going to hold all of those other authorities accountable one day. You say, look, they're getting off scot-free. I can't believe they can do this, and I can't believe they can do that. Oh, they're not getting off scot-free. No way. For the early church, the king standing over them was ruthless. He was unreasonable. Some might call him just plain evil. He was more than just a king. He was the tyrannical and, I think, clinically insane emperor of Rome. If ever anyone had reason to disrespect or to defy an authority, to not recognize the authority over them, they had it. Nero was absolutely awful. Pages of history attest to that. And Peter tells them, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So these Christians, notice it doesn't say Submit, it doesn't say obey, per se, here. It says be subject to. These Christians were to recognize the earthly authorities over them. Notice they they weren't supposed to do it because the authorities were respectable. Oh, no, not because they were respectable. It was because Christ was their king. Christ was their true king. It was not for the sake of the emperor. It wasn't for the sake of the governor or any other earthly ruler that they were to be subject to them, that they were to recognize their legitimate place in, of, of authority. It was, Peter says, for the Lord's sake. The Lord is the one who allows people to sit in places of authority. And Peter gives us one of the reasons that God has structured it this way that he calls people or allows people to sit in places of authority. And it's so that they would punish those who do evil, praise those who do good. And we can all stand in judgment and see who's doing that better than the other. But nevertheless, that is the role that they are given. And Peter says that all of these rulers are sent, this is the wording, sent by him, sent by Christ. And that means whether they acknowledge it know it or acknowledge it, they're under Christ's authority. I think there are a lot of leaders out there who do not acknowledge or know that they are under Christ's authority. They are in, under his rule. Someday they'll give an account. Well, Christians may have earthly rulers over them, 
even evil rulers, Christ, we said, is their true king. They belong to his kingdom. Before and above their allegiance to any other king, it's Christ's king, kingship, and his kingdom that they belong to. And that they know is an eternal kingdom. And so, they're not anarchists. And they don't refuse to pay taxes. Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar." And they abide by the laws of the land insofar as they do not contradict the direct orders or their allegiance to their real king. And they know that as they show proper respect to their earthly authorities, that they're honoring the one who's above all. So their fight, it looks different than the way others might fight. They fight by outwardly living out the otherworldly character of Christ, their king, who carried out his mission while he subjected himself to the earthly authorities. Christians fight because they know that Christ is their king. That tells them a lot about what the fight looks like. They also know that this is the way they fight because they know that the enemy is not the people of this lost world. That's not the enemy. As you live out your time alongside people who belong to this old kingdom, it might feel like they're your enemy. Oh, it really feels like they're your enemy sometimes. Man, it must have felt that way for those early Christians. (laughs) As they were being driven from their homes. (laughs) As they were threatened with violence. As they were cast into prison. As they were being burnt at the stake. As they were thrown into the Colosseums to be torn apart by wild animals. It would have been so easy for them to look at their persecutors and say, these are our enemies. Makes perfect sense why so many of us look at the fight like this as well, or why so many of us are inclined to look at it like uh, maybe, maybe like this. That's maybe our preference. Uh, the fight is this way. It's a horizontal fight. It's us against them. It's brother against brother. It's neighbor against neighbor. We look at other people and we say, hey, you want to fight? Let's go. You want to talk politics? Let's go. You want to talk this? You want to talk that? Let's go. Let me get my gloves first, my brass knuckles, then we're going at it, right? We think the fight is horizontal. But just like you and me, it was so important for these exile Christians to remember that they were, they were once no different from those who belong to this lost world. And this help us, helps us understand the fight. Paul wrote to Christians in Corinth, he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, our God. Once you belong to the lost world, once I belong to the lost world. He told the same things to Christians in Ephesus. We read it last week. You're dead in your trespasses of sin and sins. You're, 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 you're all among 
whom all, uh, you're, you're the sons of disobedience. You were the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the, the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Christian, <laughs> it may feel like pe the people who are out there living alongside of you in this lost world, the jerks, the violent, the bitter, the hateful, the ones who hold those other political views, even the, the unjust and the corrupt leaders, it may feel like they are the enemy. But you've got to remember that the fight is not with people around you. Our fight is not horizontal. Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle that we are fighting is a spiritual battle, Paul says. We wage war against the spiritual forces that have taken captive the people of this world. It's against the sin that has enslaved them. And that is why the fight does not look like fighting the way everyone else fights. You don't fight evil with evil. Sure, we could, we could take out our fists. <laughs> we, we could begin laying other people out with our sharp tongues. We might, we might think that we're waging some kind of righteous war, and we might feel pretty good about it, but all we would be doing, you see, is perpetuating the ways of the old fallen kingdom. We'd be indulging in those same old corrosive passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls now. No understanding that our enemy is not the people of this lost world, that the fight is not horizontal. That fundamentally changes the way we fight. We do not battle. We, we, we do battle with the forces of evil just as Christ did battle with them by living as image bearers of the maker. You want to fight? The fight we're in, the one that Christ our King began, is a vertical one. This is a vertical fight we are engaged in. The people who are still members of this lost world, they aren't the enemy. At least not the enemy in the war that Christ has called us to. Yeah, they're fighting. Oh, yes, they're fighting. And they're fighting a horizontal war. And they're fighting against you. Make no mistake. But our fight isn't against them. It's against the forces that enslave them. We're not here to win victory for one group over the other group. We're here to pull all of them out of this lost world and into that eternal kingdom. That's why the fight looks so different. <laughs> That's why the tactics are different. That's why the weapons are different. And that's why they look so odd to the rest of the world. That's why they looked odd to us. We're living in this world. We know what fighting looks like. And this is just odd what Peter is calling us to. We fight this battle as we outwardly live out the otherworldly calling character of Jesus Christ. We point them to the Savior. Christians know that Christ is their king. And that the enemy is not the people of this lost world. Finally, they know that they know that this is the fight because they know what victory looks like. Victory, victory for us, it looks like this. It looks like faithfulness to the Savior. 
Victory uh, doesn't look like people um, laying other people out, putting them in their place, burying them six feet under. That is not victory. That's what defeat looks like. Defeat looks like failure to be the people that God called us to be. Failure to be image bearers of God. Defeat looks like what took place in Genesis chapter 3. That's defeat for Christians. Doing it our own way. Disobeying our creator, our king. It looks like uh, one person here defines it as, all the time, enmity and strife. It looks like enmity and strife. It looks like throwing other people to the ground and then stomping them. That's defeat. If that's defeat, the opposite is what God has called us to do. Victory looks like being a faithful image bearer that God designed you and me to be. It looks like faithfulness. It looks like saying no to the old sinful way and yes to what Christ has called us to. Not long ago, I was speaking uh, with someone who was having a terrible, terrible time. It was right around Christmas time, and they could not be with their family. Because every time they were with their family, they were, they were button heads. They were getting in fights. And that was, uh, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was before Christmas. It was the height of the pandemic. And there were all kinds of arguments about all sort, sorts of different things. Uh, fights about whether or not this is a real thing, whether or not uh, these vaccinations are, are good or bad, or should we obey, should we not obey? What about the restrictions? Oh, I can't stand the restrictions. And they were, the family members were going at it. And this guy, every time he spent time with them, it erupted into like uh, Mount St. Helens. It was insane. And he was getting so angry, and he was so determined to have the last word that it was, it was creating a serious problem in this family. And I realized at one point, winning for him was having that last word. Winning for him was having the argument that made the most sense. Winning for him was how loud he could raise his voice. But what winning should have looked like, because this is, this is a brother in Christ, it should have looked like him being able to go spend time with his family, have a conversation about these things that really matter, voicing his thoughts and opinions, and then walking away from the conversation knowing that he had represented Christ, his king, well. That's what victory, that's what winning should have looked like. Friends, you and I are not here to blast away. We're here to faithfully represent and show a lost world Jesus. So we fight the spiritual forces of evil in this last world by outwardly showing out the otherworldly character of Christ. We shouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> we should not be able to do that. We belong to this world. We have the same deadly cravings welling up inside of us and pulsating through our veins, but Christ has done a powerful transformational work inside of us, and his spirit now lives within us, empowering us to be holy as he is holy. Peter said in verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Faithfulness to Christ, it has this astounding effect on the, the outward world, those who would point fingers at us, it leaves them with nowhere to go. And they just think, wow, these people are strange. I don't get it. Victory looks like faithfulness to Christ. Victory looks like proclamation of the message. Jesus said, go into all the world, proclaim 
the gospel to the whole of creation. That's what victory looks like. Those are marching orders. Preach the good news of Jesus to the world that needs him. You want to fight? Here's the way to fight. Proclaim the message. You'll know that you've done your duty and that you've found favor in the eyes of your king when you have testified to people who Christ is. And that salvation comes by no other name but by the name of Jesus. Victory looks like faithfulness to Christ. It looks like proclaiming the message. It looks like participation in the rescue mission. Yes, you and I battle the forces of evil, but the main way we do that is by pulling people off the beach. You remember the allied troops. They stood there, completely exposed, completely surrounded. No way to escape the sands of Dunkirk. The victory wasn't about taking out the enemy. It was about getting as many troops as possible back home. That's victory. Operation Dynamo, that was a rescue mission. And miraculously, 338,000 soldiers, when they thought just maybe in the, just in the tens of thousands would be rescued, 338,000 were rescued. Friends, we can storm the beach and we can unleash hell by some miracle. We may put an end to abortion. We may legislate any number of, of deadly sins out there. We legislate against them, and now the people are incarcerated for them. May we, we may put a, an end to uh, illicit drug use. We may put an end to pornography, human trafficking. We might set up hard and fast parameters uh, for, for what marriage is and what marriage is not. We might for, for, forbid perverse sexual practices. We might ban four-letter words. We might make everyone play nice. We might create a new moral majority rise up in the United States. We might do all that, and that's not bad. But we could do all that and still completely fail in our rescue mission. It's not simply moral people or good citizens that we're after here. It's not just the installment of respectable leaders or secure borders or, or, or thriving economy or gas prices going back to something reasonable or prayer in schools or the protection of every freedom outlined in the Constitution. We are here to participate, first and foremost, in the rescue mission. And we may not have much to offer. Maybe our little boat it's uh, not much to look at, but by God's grace, we can use who we are and all that we have to bring a few to safety. Let's keep our eyes on the real fight, the one of ultimate importance. Peter wrote, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You want to fight? You're in a fight. There's... An internal fight, there's an external fight. And the external one is vertical. Outwardly living out the otherworldly character of Christ is the way that Christians show the world that God has saved them. He's changed them. And he's the glorious reigning king in their lives. It keeps them from fighting the way the world fights. And propels them to proclaim the message that they so need. This morning we remember how the fight has begun and if those serving communion would come forward, I know that we're running so need.